Tuning in this Monday morning, September the 23rd. Hope you had a great weekend. This is Daniel Warmer coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios, 8 a.m. on the East Coast, 5 a.m. out on the West Coast, and all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in. On this Monday morning, a lot happening uh, this weekend. I am a big, big Barcelona fan, and um, the team is not playing well. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, Bad management at the top of the club. This is a club that is a supporter-owned club. Uh, It is different from what we're probably used to in this in the US where you have, you know, usually a single owner or a family ownership or maybe a an ownership group or a few, you know, owners, but not a multiplicity in, in plurality of owners. There's not a single great shareholder of the club. There um there are is membership to the club and it's 200,000 plus, I believe that, uh, own the club and they vote and people run for elections and, uh, the, the people that are on the board who run the club, in my view, just don't make the best of decisions uh, in regards to the Academy of Barcelona and the young players coming up, as well as the the managers they that they look at and the players that they bring in are just hit and miss. And so that's one issue. The other issue is the manager himself, Ernesto Valverde, who, you know, from everything I've read, is an, a very nice guy. And um, this is... This has nothing to do with him personally, whether he's a nice guy or a bad guy. Um, I have nothing personal against the guy. I just don't like the way he manages. And I think that, um, you know, they've had some hiccups the last couple seasons. They've started off this third season um, very poorly, especially away from home. And, um, you know, it's, it's starting to pile up. He should have been fired last spring. Instead, the club chose to keep him. By the club, I mean the board. And um, the board also purchased uh, Antoine Griezmann this summer. It was a bad buy at the time. I said it was a bad buy at the time. I didn't like the deal at the time. Um, it just wasn't a good fit for this team uh, on the field. I mean, he may be great in the locker room, and he may get along with the players, but... Just, you know, unless you're getting rid of Messi, I mean, there was just really nothing to bring him in for. And it shows. There's just, it's just, it was a bad buy. Uh, They shouldn't have spent that money on Griezmann. They could have brought Neymar back or some other player in that fit better. And uh, they didn't. So, not looking good there. That was a frustrating, uh, frustrating uh, match this weekend. Uh, yesterday, Liverpool, my second favorite team, favorite team in the Premier League, um, pulled out a 2-1 uh, victory away at Chelsea. Christian Pulisic, not a factor in the game. And... It's it's you know been a, it's been a multi game stretch here, um, you know when you make a big money move, you you got to prove yourself and um, for whatever reason so far, he's not been able to um, convince his manager that he belongs on that field as a starter, and so on and so forth. So he's got to he's got to double down, buckle down, 
get to work, figure out what parts of his game have got to get better in order to get on the field. And until that happens, you don't, you don't just get guaranteed playing time because you're on the roster. Um, and he knows that. I'm not, I'm not saying anything for his sake. I'm saying this for, for the American public at large. A lot of times we, we see a player like a Christian Pulisic and we go, man, he's really, really good. Well, he is compared to the, the U.S. player of uh, player pool. The, the amount of players available for the U.S., yes. He, he is in that top echelon of players that we have available. There's no doubt about that. The issue is, and, and, and I've said this for a while, if you looked at Christian Pulisic and the team that won the World Cup in 2018 for France, not only is he not a starter on that team, I don't even think he makes the team in France. And he's our best player uh, or has been our best player for the last couple of years. That goes to show you the level. And, you know, he's going to have to really get to work and raise his level even higher in in and demand of himself, and I'm sure he will. Everything I've ever read about him, people that know him, says that he's he, he's a worker and he wants to get better and he wants to raise his game, etc. And that's fantastic. And he's just gonna he's gonna have to do that. And um, he's gonna be better for it. The U.S. is gonna be better for it. Um, we need those types of environments to get better. And uh, until we until we do until we we raise our level across the board, not just Christian, but across the board with all of our players. Uh, our, our country on the men's side of the ledger is going to struggle against the global standard because the global standard is just that much higher. It's, it's at an elevated level compared to where we are. The U.S. system of player development is a joke. I mean, it is a circus. Uh, we have clubs all ar- across this country that can operate programming and run marketing campaigns, but they don't ever have to prove their product. See, what Christian's doing right now is he's having to prove the product. That product is him, but he's having to prove himself. Now, what he did in the past... And, and what he did at Dortmund gave him the opportunity to get to Chelsea, but now he's got to prove it again. And if you look at his track record, he's going to figure it out. But he's going to have to figure it out. He's going to have to prove it. He's got the talent. He's got the work ethic, but he's going to have to prove it. He's going to have to do it not talk about doing it. He's got to actually back the talk up. He's got to actually walk it out on the training pitch, on the field in a match. And a lot of what what people fail to see is not just getting it right once, not just doing it well one time. What, what separates this level for so many players is not the ability to go out and have a good game. A lot of players at this level can go out and have a good game. What separates them is the consistency of delivering that good game. And if you run that all the way up the ladder, it's why Messi is the best player of all time. And it's not close. Messi is the best player player of all time because of his consistency of his play. You look at all of the stats, it'll blow your mind. Watch matches, it'll blow your mind. The consistency of how great he plays compared to everyone else. 
And Christians got to do that. In the American market, you don't have to do that. You can set up your, your club. You can get territorial protection from your association, which limits your competition. You can run your programming. You can make all the proclamations in the world about how you're going to develop world-class players, how you're going to teach them possession-based soccer, and you're going to turn them into ballers, and you're going to do this and this and this, and you're going to open up opportunities for this girl and this guy and this kid and this coach and whatever. And you can, you can make this entire sales pitch to parents who pay for your programming. But you never have to prove it on the field. You're never accountable for what you say. And the reality of the American system is that The system itself gives protection and cover for this type of of bad performance. It's very hard to compare. You can see it right now with Christian Pulisic. If you're watching Chelsea, if you're watching the Premier League, you can see that he's not on the field. You can see that. Where's the accountability in the American system? For the club, for the coach, for the player. There's there's there is none. And even when you work hard, when you prove it on the field, when you win, when you've proven that you can develop players, the federation steps in and says, well, that's fine, but your label out next to your your team and your club does not say MLS, therefore, you're not good enough. Yeah, you've beaten our teams, but you're not good enough, so you're second tier. We do exactly opposite of accountability. We have enabling in our system. It is it is bizarre how upside down we are in this country. And we're going to get into that after the break. Uh, but before we do, a word... From our sponsor this half hour is Ducktick Brand, D-U-K-T-I-G Brand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G Brand.com, and use the promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off of your next order. They have this shirt that they've got out right now. It is super fire. You should check them out. And while you're there, get... All the notebooks you can think of, the waterproof paper, I mean, incredible stuff. Uh, DuckTickBrand.com, DWShow is the promo code. Get 10% off of your order. We'll be right back after this.
Welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in. Monday, September the 23rd. Before we went to break, we were we're getting to the point of talking about accountability in the uh, the American system or the lack thereof uh, in terms of accountability. And uh, I was I was thinking about this on Saturday. Um, had to go out of town for the day for some American youth soccer, and like so many families. Uh, had to spend about seven and a half, eight hours on the road on Saturday to go to a single match and uh, gave me time to do some thinking and and some writing. And uh, I kind of uh, went to town on some things on Twitter, if you don't follow me on Twitter at Daniel Workman at D A N I E L W O R K M A N is where you can find me, and uh, you can find this post from Saturday, September the twenty-first. It is a thread. It says, uh, I'm, I'm going to go through the thread and, and talk about some of these things in, in more detail. Several asked online certain questions about uh, what I was saying. And it, it, there's only so much you can, you can get into in terms of nuance and detail on Twitter. Um, I tried to give as much color as I could in this string of, of tweets, like 20, 21 tweets. It might be the longest thread I've ever posted. Um, had a lot to say and still only scratch the surface. But uh, um, this is this is basically kind of picking up on, on where we were before we went to Bray, talking about accountability in our system. U.S. soccer doesn't do soccer well, so it only makes sense. It honors its own leadership while ignoring the error of its ways and the dysfunction in its wake. The dissonance is deafening. What follows is a la- is a look at areas that need reform, overhaul, or elimination. Now, before I get into the, the, the rest of this thread, I, I want to just make a point here. The look at areas that need reform, overhaul, or elimination was at best an overview. I didn't get into all the details uh, of these issues. I didn't even get to cover a lot of the issues. Um, I might have broken Twitter had I um, continued to, to, to go even more detailed than I already did. So I just want to make that point. There's so much going on and so much that we're not getting right. Before we dive into looking at some of these dysfunctional issues, we need to first look at why. Why are these decisions made? Why do these decisions continue to get made despite that most within U.S. soccer disagree with what is being done? The answer to why is found in the worldview or the philosophy of those in power. This worldview is a dangerous combination of ignorance and arrogance. It values the American sports model over its global counterpart. It values control and power over opportunity. It is arrogant for those in power to think that a closed market will ever compete with the might of an open global system. Unlike baseball, basketball, and American football, who mostly operate in a vacuum, soccer is a global game. Isolationism isn't possible. Their worldview is predicated on centralized control and knowing what is best. And knowing uh, is in quotes. Ignoring cities, states, and regions of the country while arrogantly dictating what the ignored areas need ensures that those in charge will never know how to grow soccer in Wyoming. This worldview of the leadership of U.S. soccer shapes these principles. MLS must succeed no matter what. Something we've been talking about on the show recently. Be happy with what we give you. Challenge us at your own peril. 
comply or we will work against you. And we decide winners and losers. It's easy to see these principles play out in all areas of U.S. soccer. Look at the treatment of the U.S. women's national team. How many times have the U.S. Soccer Federation said, be happy with what we give you to these players? Instead of championing the most successful women's national team in the world, they challenge their standing to ask for what they deserve, equal treatment and opportunity. Due to Title IX, the U.S. has had a giant head start, but the world is catching up, and our ladies need more support from our federation, not less than their male counterparts. Look at U.S. soccer voting and elections. The current system means the votes of 30 people, MLS, USL, Athlete Council, and a handful of others, matter more than the hundreds that get a vote. All of the 95 state associations representing all 50 states in the youth and adult councils can vote unanimously and still not reach the 50% plus one threshold to win an election. MLS directly controls approximately 10% of the overall vote worth 20% of the vote needed to win. Want to know why it's so hard to change the corrupt leadership of U.S. soccer? The weighted voting system gives the intended appearance of democratic elections, but in in reality, they are nothing more than appointments. A look at the Athlete Council brings up another area of concern. Due to U.S. soccer's operations of the Olympic program, it is required to provide a minimum of 20% representation in voting, board seats, and committees to national or Olympic athletes. And that means that you could be a player in Major League Soccer and not qualify for the Athlete Council. You have to be a member of either representing the, the U.S. in the Olympics or in the national team program to, to, to meet the uh, requirements of serving on the athlete council. So this is for, you know, 0.1% of the players in this country or smaller. Um, probably even smaller than 1.1%. U.S. soccer was recently challenged by Hope Solo on their lack of compliance and won. The Athlete Council isn't voted on by all registered soccer players in this country. It is voted on by the nominees and works closely with MLS and the Federation at the expense of players. For more on the Athlete Council and one way to reform it to stay in compliance with the Ted Stevens Act, this is the law that that sets up the need for an Athlete Council in the first place. To stay in compliance with the Ted Stevens Act while being more accountable to serve all American players, you can visit danielwertman.com forward slash USSF dash athlete dash council dash reform. Again, that uh, page is danielwerkman.com forward slash USSF dash athlete dash council dash reform. And there you will find a um, an article that we uh, we put up a while back detailing how to reform the athlete council um, and create a player congress that they would become accountable to. This would be com- completely compliant with the law, um, but would allow us to uh, to see them have to interact with the the spirit of the law by representing all athletes not just themselves after the 2018 u.s soccer federation election where the athlete council inexplicably 
voted for an insider candidate even after the U.S. men's national team failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. The number of athlete council members who have now gotten jobs in the media and other areas of prominence is concerning. If you go down the list of players that were on the athlete council that voted for Carlos Cordero, who now have jobs in the media since the 2018 election and other jobs that are high-profile jobs within the Federation or Major League Soccer, etc., that didn't have these jobs beforehand, it is definitely bizarre. And to say unrelated is a stretch. A look at the U.S. Soccer Development Academy, U.S. Soccer Federation Coaching License Program, and the U.S. Soccer Federation Referee Program shows U.S. Soccer working hand-in-hand with MLS to pick winners and losers. Clubs lose the most, and in so doing, cities, players, and families are as well. I want to stop there for just a minute. Someone asked uh, the question. uh, Let me find uh, who specifically ask this question so I can make sure I give them a, a quick shout out. Um, Bruce Bode at Bruce Bode here asked question, please expand on your statement here relative to the referee department working to pick winners and losers. So Bruce Here's what I meant by picking winners and losers. With the licensing programs and the, you know, even even when it comes to the assignment of referees, etc., the US Soccer Federation has a gatekeeper system. They determine not not the quality of the candidate, but they determine whether you get in or not. They determine your access to top-level games. They determine your access to the next level of training. It is very much run like a private club. You have to get their permission to get in. So when I say they pick winners and losers, I'm not necessarily saying that, that they are picking winners and losers as referees in a game in terms of match fixing, what I'm, what I'm talking about is the access to top level training, going into States and allowing the States to operate their, their referees, the training of the referees at the highest level, etc. cetera. Um, there's been much discussion and debate uh, in terms of the, the Federation wanting to remove from state associations the administration and oversight of the referees and, and centralize that power. And at the same time, they're the ones, like with the coaching license program, they're the ones who allow people in or out. They're the ones who dictate that. So it is very easy for for candidates to be left on the outside looking in. And one one glaring example of that are female candidates. If you look at female candidates in coaching license courses, you will you will not see very many candidates matter. As a matter of fact, in the recent uh, B license uh, uh, candidate picture, I don't believe there's a single female that went through the program. Now, if you're an MLS player, you can get a skip the line pass and, and, and get your licenses much faster and skip certain licenses. That doesn't apply um, to everyone else. This is an example of picking winners and losers. So in the in the referee 
situation, Bruce, what, what, what I was looking at was the fact that this program is handled very much like other programs and that there is a pecking order, a, a gatekeeper st- uh, type of system, and you are allowed certain uh you know certain people are allowed in to to work at that level to get trained at that level so if we if we limit the number of people that can get a b license they can they can we can artificially pad that opportunity we create artificial scarcity so instead of having, you know, a thousand B licensed coaches, maybe we have 500 and I'm just throwing out random numbers. I'm not saying we have a thousand or 500, but I'm, I'm using this as an example. If you look at the math, let's say the market demand for being a B licensed coach is, you know, 500,000. Let's say there's 500,000 people in the U S that want to get a B license if we limit that number to 50,000, then those 50,000 candidates or 50,000 license holders are able to demand much higher wages. So we, we charge a lot more. We only allow certain people in. Then when they get out, what we're saying is, well, look, we let you in, we let you through, we gave you that B license. Now what we've given you is the ability to go demand a higher pay. You've got to be licensed. And this kind of elitist mentality, it permeates all areas and it permeates the, the referee program as well. You also look at the winners and losers in terms of, of what referees can get assigned where. So Major League Soccer gets the pick of the litter and when you go down the pecking order from there, you have these these referees that are that are graded on a tier system, and fewer and fewer quality referees according to this gatekeeper system that are, are out there that are available um, are are able to go around to these leagues, right? Cause they're booked here. They're booked there. Whereas if we were training more referees and getting more quality referees and a, and a bigger uh, pool, then more leagues would get higher quality ref- referees and, and higher quality training. And that, so it's the same mentality that goes all the way around. And, and ultimately the club should be the heartbeat. It should be the epicenter of the focus of the U.S. Soccer Federation, not the player, not the coach, not the families, not the administrators, the clubs. Why do I say that? Because if we treated the clubs properly, the players, the coaches, the referees, the families, the administrators, the executives, they're all being treated properly. So if we get it right for the clubs, if we, if we're following through in that vein, then it's the gateway for everything else. Legal challenges to us soccer are happening with no end in sight due to their worldview which has led them to make decisions that are not in the best interests of all of American soccer. Media and public pressure must rise to reach a tipping point. And this is a key here. There are a lot of legal challenges. We've talked about a lot of the, uh, the issues with the lawsuits, court of arbitration in sport, the legal challenges, and, and this is this has to do with the NASL. This has to do with promotion and relegation. This has to do with the U.S. Women's National Team. This has to do with, with Hope Solo. This has to do with uh, solidarity payments and training compensation. Over and over again, these things have have been going on. And there's other other legal challenges behind the scenes that the public are, are not even aware of. 
when we look at all of that, that's one piece of what has to happen. But there are other areas. Public pressure. If supporters groups from MLS really want to make a difference, quit buying tickets, go into a game and walking out. Just straight boycott. If you really want to make a difference, MLS supporters groups, get together, plan a match day weekend, and none of you go. You can go to the outside of the game in the stadium, outside of the stadium, and if you want to protest, fine, whatever. But don't even go. You may have already bought the tickets. You may have already done season tickets. All of that, I get it. But instead of going in and doing a walkout, don't go in the stadium at all and do it as a united action across the entire league. And this goes beyond just, I want to talk about the signage. I'm talking about real substantive change. The same for the USL. Public pressure. You have to understand when you have a federation that has all the power and it is centralized and they have this worldview of power and control that guides those principles that we talked about, that MLS must succeed no matter what, to be happy with what we give you, to challenge us at your own peril, comply or we will work against you. We decide winners and losers. If these are the guiding principles of this leadership within U.S. soccer, that the only way you're going to challenge that is to create a climate where the media who is limited just like the referees, just like the coaching to access because the federation works hand in hand with Major League Soccer to create an environment that is toxic to free press coverage. They do not want critical think tank pieces. They do not want independent investigations. They do not want hard-hitting pieces looking at where we're falling short. They don't want challenges to what they're doing. They want puff pieces. They want the media to be a PR front for them. This is why they go with this narrative that you, you can't criticize us because we're still trying to build this thing. And if you do, you're going to hurt the sport. The reality is the opposite. If the media doesn't speak up, you're hurting the sport. Protecting U.S. soccer and Major League Soccer is hurting the sport. We need a dose of truth serum in this country when it comes to American soccer. And one of the ways that the public can help with that is with U.S. national team matches, with MLS matches, with NWSL matches, with, with USL, NISA matches. If all of the fans just decided, look, we're not going to support this anymore. We're not coming. We're not going to go to the stadiums. If there was a public boycott across this country where everyone said, you know what, on the weekend of uh, the first weekend of October, whatever matches take place, no one's going nowhere. No one is going that weekend. Everyone's going to play for no fans. That's the kind of public pressure we have to have. 
And that that is the kind of media coverage of of telling the truth that needs to start happening. This federation working with Major League Soccer is not making the game better. It's making the environment and the system structured better so that they can have more power and control so they can keep the gatekeeper system in at all levels and in all ways so that they can hoard the money. They're going to try to do solidarity payments and training compensation for themselves and no one else. And the Federation is enabling this, not fighting it. And the media has to fight back. The public has to fight back to say enough is enough. It's garbage. Hope everyone's having a great Monday morning. We need new leadership to reform the U.S. Soccer Federation governance and systems. The U.S. Soccer Federation is the only one keeping American soccer from reaching its potential. Let me say that again. The U.S. Soccer Federation, the national governing body for soccer in this country, is the only one keeping American soccer from reaching its potential. Yep, you heard that right. It's the federation that should be making soccer the preeminent sport in this country that is actually working against everyone in this country. They are limiting potential and growth for everyone else because they picked a winner and everyone else are the losers. MLS must succeed no matter what. This is the bed they have made. This is the deal that they are married to. America needs to be unleashed. We need to empower the dreamers and the doers. I'll leave you with this. American soccer could be, and I think should be, the greatest soccer country on earth. We should be a country of opportunity and access for the bold and brave to reach for the stars and lift us all on their way. We need an open market. We need one set of rules for everyone. Not one set of rules for Major League Soccer and one set of rules for everyone else. We need one set of rules. If you're good enough, there's your access. We should be trying to get more and more and more referees, more and more and more coaches with higher licensing. We should be trying to get barriers to entry removed, not put up more barriers. We should be trying to find ways to integrate all soccer in this country into us into in, into being sanctioned by the federation. But why would I why would if I'm running a league If I'm running an ethnic league in this country, let's say it's a Latino league in South Central LA, why would I sanction my league with the U.S. Soccer Federation? What do I get? I pay you fees. What do I get for that? If you come back with insurance, I can get my own insurance. I don't need you for that. Why should I sanction with you? Well, you get access to the U.S. Open Cup. A cup that pays me no money as prize money if I win it and is going to cost me way more money to compete. That doesn't make sense. Why else should I sanction with you? Oh, wait, let me go check the Twitter feed for the U.S. Soccer Federation in Spanish. Yeah, it's been a while since they've tweeted from that account. Maybe they don't actually care about us. They just want our money. Why would a league like that want to sanction with U.S. Soccer? There's nothing in it for them. Nothing. The only reason why a Latino league or any other ethnic league or unsanctioned league around this country that would want to be sanctioned with the Federation, the only reason is an open system. 
where their leagues and their clubs and their players and their managers would have a, a platform to shine on a bigger stage. That their best clubs could win and move up. Get access to more capital, more prize money, TV revenue. That's the only reason why they should try to sanction with the Federation. Otherwise, there's no reason to do it. If you're not trying to get access and in the good graces of Major League Soccer, there's no reason for your local league to be sanctioned with the Federation. You're not getting anything for it. And in many cases, you can get the things that they would be offering you for less money, like insurance. And it'd probably be better insurance. I came back a a little bit after I posted this initial tweet thread of 20 tweets and and came back with a couple more, and we're going to get into those after the break. But before we do, a word from our sponsor this half hour is Charity Water. To learn more about Charity Water, you can go to charitywater.org. Charity Water provides clean drinking water to people all over the world. And you can be a part of that story by going to charitywater.org. There's no better feeling than knowing that you are doing something for someone else. I promise you. And uh, you can learn more about being a part of that story at charitywater.org. We'll be right back after this. No one. No man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. You could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. September the 23rd. I hope you had a great weekend. We've been going through this tweet thread that um, I dumped on Saturday at Daniel Workman. If, uh, if you don't follow me, do it there. Um, I, I posted this initial uh, thread of tweets. There was 23, uh, 20 tweets and um, ended the the tweet thread uh, going to break with this tweet. I'll leave you with this. American soccer could be, and I think should be the greatest soccer country on earth. We should be a country of opportunity and access for the bold and brave to reach for the stars and lift us all on their way. If we ever get it right, I think we could be the greatest soccer country on earth. When you combine the size of our country, the resources available, the sports economy, the commercialization that could happen when it was completely unleashed, I think when you combine all those factors, we could have the best league in the world. 
And it's a shame because where we are right now is, is not only not, not getting us there, we're falling further and further behind. We're not getting closer. We're getting farther away. The things that we are doing is not getting us where we need to go. And there's a lot of things that, that have to happen. Um, we have to regionalize much quicker than we do. We have to reduce the burden on travel, even at the top levels. It's excessive. We've got we've to have a mentality of openness, access, in order to get where we could be, and I think we should be, which is the greatest soccer country on earth. All of those things are factors that are, are part of this. This weekend, I traveled to Birmingham, Alabama. I was watching... Um, Two of the the largest clubs in the state of Alabama, two of their teams play uh, in a state league match, and it was a joke. I mean, it was the quality was terrible. This is, this should be the top level in this country, and it was it was really bad soccer. And there's no reason for it. I mean, if you're two of the you know three biggest clubs in the state of Alabama, you should be able to have much better quality of play than what I witnessed. And it wasn't for a lack of skilled players. There were, there were plenty of skilled players on the field. There there's plenty of, uh, talent on the field. What was lacking was the development. And, and, you know, when you, when you watch these things play out, this is why I talk about when you operate in a vacuum, it's very difficult to measure where you are. Christian Pulisic, which we talked about at the very beginning of the show, at Chelsea, he's not in a vacuum. If he's struggling, he's on the bench because there's other players there that are also pushing. That's an open market. And these clubs, instead of pushing think that everything's going pretty well. They're getting paid. They're earning their money. And there's no real challenge in the system. It's a systemic problem. I'm not putting the blame completely on these clubs because I think both of them are operating, like I said, in a, in a, in a vacuum pretty much in terms of not even having to prove themselves. So they don't really even know that they're not reaching potential. But I'm watching the play, and the level of play is just, it's not good. Bouncing balls all over the place, can't keep the ball. No understanding of, of pressing and pressure and possession, positional play. And again, it's not because the players aren't capable. It's that they're not taught. I ended up posting a couple other tweets at the end of that thread. The last two tweets of that thread um, were, if you don't think any of this thread affects local soccer in your backyard, you are sadly mistaken. The impact is severe and detrimental. I witnessed it again today. Clubs can run programs and get paid without having to be good. We're going nowhere fast. We will not improve until we look in the mirror and embrace truth, especially when it hurts. Too many coaches are clueless but still get paid. Too many clubs charge thousands because there's no threat to their fiefdom. Left unchallenged, we will never reach excellence. Our system has an adverse effect on families' bank accounts. The families 
The American soccer families are the ones who have gotten fleeced in this whole system. There's no real opportunity to get college scholarships to pay for the money that you're putting in. So unless uh, unless you're one of the very few that get a college scholarship or find a way to prof- uh, a pathway to professional, your your money that you pay, you're never getting back. So what are you paying for? What are you paying elite level money and traveling for? Is it status? Is it to say my kid plays on a club ball and that matters enough to put that money essentially down the toilet? What are you paying for? And at the end of all this, when you're looking at everything, is the money that you're paying, is it really worth it? Are your kids really getting better with our system? Because like I said, I, I saw this weekend two of the top level teams in this country at that U16 age group, and it was awful soccer. Just terrible. Players playing all over the place, completely out of position. At U16, you should you should have a a a role, right? That you're a player that plays certain ways we had John Kikoris on recently on the show and, and talking with him about his 2010s and, and how do they look for players to play do they put them in positions how do they go about that and one of the things he brought up is that we let nature take its course if a kid likes to sit and and win the ball and then pass to a teammate then we play him in positions in roles that complement those aspects of his game. If, if we have a player that likes to just go up and down, up and down, up and down, then we look to play them out on the wings. And we enhance that natural tendency. And they, and they do this all over the field, even at, at a, 2010 level and our players in this country they're not all the same this isn't a swiss army knife i don't know where american soccer got this idea in player development that every kid's got to play everywhere it's it's bizarre Most sports, generally, when you're looking at a team sport like baseball, basketball, American football, are, are the same as soccer. But in America, this is one area where, where it's just bizarro world when you go and watch soccer development. Around the world, you will see clubs follow this kind of let nature take its course path. And you see this in baseball, basketball, and American football in the U.S. Nature take its course. Some kids look like O-line, D-line, and they play O-line, D-line. They're not running backs. They're not wide receivers. In basketball, you have players that play naturally different positions. Point guard versus a center versus a power forward, etc. Are there players that are anomalies? Yes. I mean, LeBron James is probably the greatest anomaly ever in the NBA. He, can, he could play all five positions on the, on the court. But in most cases, players generally naturally slide into roles. And those roles lead them to certain positions on the court. 
Same goes for American football and the field and baseball. And it's that way around the world with soccer. But in this country, we're like, hey, uh, you're going to play center back. Then you're going to play as a left wing. And then we're going to play as a striker. Then you're going to be goalkeeper. Then you're going to be left back. And then you're going to be defensive midfielder. And none of those roles, when you're talking about that many different positions, are the same. Now, if you're a left wing, okay, I can get left back. But generally, what you'll see in American soccer is I've got a guy who's big, he's tall, I'm going to play him as a center back, and then I might move, move him up to be a striker. But then you never know. You may go to a game and sometimes they're playing as a attacking midfielder. Next week, they might be a goalkeeper. And things are just random. These are the kind of things I'm talking about. Like, there's no repercussions in development. What do you have to prove in this system? What do you have to actually show for your work? Are, are, is your club being held to a standard that they have to produce so many level college players or professional players? Where is the line of demarcation where you can say, okay, hey, this is success for us. Even though our system is screwed up and access is limited and opportunity is, is scarce, we're going to hold ourselves to this standard and here's what we're going to do. And, and if we don't do that, then, you know, we didn't have success here and we've got to do better. We still got to have internal standards and we've got to learn from the global game. We've got to get better at what we do. There's, there's still responsibility that we have to take on ourselves. We can't put blame everywhere. And this was the point of the end of this tweet thread that we will not improve until we look in the mirror and embrace truth, especially when it hurts. And that goes for all levels of the pyramid, whether it's local clubs, whether it's players, whether it's coaches, referees, fans, it doesn't matter until we embrace the truth of where we are and the truth of where we could be. We're going nowhere fast, but we could go somewhere really fast if we embrace truth, if we really look in the mirror and say, Hey, I want, I want to be better. I'll reiterate it again. We could be, and we should be the greatest soccer country on earth. And it's us that are getting in our own way. There are people in power right now the u.s soccer federation that do not want the people to speak up they do not want we the people to rise they do not want an independent media they do not want independent clubs with opportunity and access but we can get there together because we are better together we are stronger together and our future can be greater if we come together embrace truth opportunity and access together thanks for watching today's show we will be back again tomorrow as always you can watch on facebook.com forward slash wrkmn or at danielworkman.com you can catch me on twitter or instagram at daniel workman we'll see everyone again tomorrow